you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we will look at the first few verses in Romans chapter 5 this morning. As we look at the subject matter, guarantees in life, guarantees in life in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 down through verse number 10, we're going to see a number of guarantees, actually through verse 11. Let me read these for us and uh, we will dive in. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. You are Yahweh, a covenantal God who desires for us to come into a covenantal relationship with you. You are Elohim, you are creator, you are Adonai. You are curious, you are the Lord of heaven and earth and everything that is in existence. You rule and reign. 
You rule and reign in power. You rule and reign in splendor. And you desire that we, finite men and women, boys and girls, God, you desire that we would come to you. You desire that I would come to you. You have promised us a number of things, and you have worked a number of things. And I pray, Father, this morning, I pray, oh Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us a mind to comprehend these verses, for they are so weighty. They are so needed. Father, I... I need to to wrestle more with this. We need to wrestle more with the words that were just read. Father, there are a number of guarantees that we have heard with the ears that you have placed on the right and the left side of our heads. Father, we need to know that there are some lifetime guarantees that you give. So God, as we look at these this morning, I pray that you would speak, that you would work in our hearts, in our lives. God, use this moment and use this time. Father, some of us are are just struggling to make it another day. Some of us find ourselves in in a peaceful moment in life, but Father, I know there are a lot of us that are here that are just treading water, that we are just going 90 different miles and different directions at the same time. God, would you blot that out? Father, would you use these moments in our lives to show us the weight of our anchor, which who is you? And we'll give you praise and glory for who you are, and for, as we will see in this passage, what you have done. So, Father, I pray that we would see your word, and God, you would work in our hearts and in our minds this morning for your glory. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. No matter what you buy, no no matter the infomercial, so to speak, or the, the, the selling points of an item or tin or, or whatever it is, there always is, there often is, I won't say always, but there often is this seal at the bottom. Maybe it's on the website, maybe it's on the bottom of the container, but there is some type of guarantee. Maybe it's a 90-day, a 30-day It might even be as soon as you walk out the door, that's the only guarantee you got, and that's just what you bought. But in this passage this morning, there are numerous lifetime guarantees that you and I can grab a hold of, not because of what is stated, but because of who has stated it. It's not just because of these words. It's even not just because of these actions, but it's because of the one who is behind stating these things. And because you and I can trust that one, he has given us lifetime 
guarantees. Every believer. There's two statements that that I hope that you get this morning. And here's the first. Every believer has lifetime guarantees of amazing blessings given to us by Almighty God. Every believer has a lifetime guarantee of amazing blessings. So let's see some of these blessings in this guarantee. The first finds we we find it right there in verse number 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a lifetime guarantee of peace. You say, Brian, the world that I'm living in, it is, I don't understand how you can say that it is peace. The other night I was speaking with our youth and we were talking about happiness. And, um, and I went around and I asked them, we, we actually broke up into two separate groups and, and we talked about, are you happy? And then we talked about where happiness comes from and even to some degree a little difference between happiness and joy and happiness oftentimes in our day is, is tied to our circumstances. So therefore, there were a lot of us in that room. If it was just about our circumstances, there was a lot of us and I would almost guarantee the same here. A lot of us, if we're just tied to our cir- circumstances, we had a terrible week. I mean, it was extremely stressful, and there was no happiness whatsoever in it. I mean, it was just one tedious task after another, after another, after another, and there was no happiness. And because of that, there's no peace. That's not what he's stating here. What he is stating here in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 is this, Therefore, understanding what all has gone before this, that how terrible you are, how terrible I am, that we are sinners who have missed the mark, and that God has given us, He has reckoned us as righteous because of faith. Because of the faith that He has given you and the faith that He has given me through the finished work of His Son, He has justified you by faith. And because of that, you have peace with God. The peace that he's speaking of here is when two armies stand in front of each other for a battle. And and Jesus has spoken about this and he said, hey, even while he's a, a ways off, when you know that you have 20 guys and he's bringing 100 guys and there's no way that your 20 are going to beat his 100, when, when that guy's afar off, you, you better send somebody over there to make peace. Because if not, there's going to be utter destruction and you're going to be laid to waste. Because you have been justified by faith through Christ, we have peace. Not with just a king who has a larger army, but with the creator of the universe whose wrath, as we will see, whose wrath has been focused on you. The crosshairs are on you, and the wrath of Almighty God is on you without Jesus Christ. If you do not have Jesus Christ in your life as your Savior and your Lord, the wrath of Almighty God has been focused on you. But since we have been justified, 
God has looked at you and He's looked at me just as if we had never sinned. He has declared you righteous by your faith in Him. We have peace. Outside of Christ, every person is under the wrath of God. Only Christ can set you and can set me free. It's right down there a couple of verses later. Since therefore, in verse number 9, if you take your your gaze and move down to verse 9 of the same chapter, since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Of God. Only Christ can set you free, can set me free. That's what justification by faith is all about. It's not some subjective feeling. There is this object, there's this objective fact that the justified are no longer enemies of God, but we are at peace with God. The justified person no longer is tormented by the questions of his relationship with God arising from the fact that he or she is a sinner. He or she rests in the security of knowing that he or she is forgiven and accepted by Almighty God. A lifetime guarantee for you, a lifetime guarantee for me, is that this God who has the perfect right to be and to have his wrath totally focused on you because you failed him. You failed him. You failed him this week. You failed him last week. You failed him the week before that. You failed him the month before that, the year before that. You failed him the moment that you came into this world because of your father, Adam. And you failed him and I failed him because of our choices. We choose to say things that we should not say. We choose to look at things that we shouldn't look at. We choose to do things that we should not do. We choose not to do the things that He told us to do. He commanded us to do. And He has every right to continue to have that wrath focused in on you. But because of His Son, Jesus, and the blood that was shed for you and for me, We have peace. And that is a lifetime guarantee. But not only do we see that there is a lifetime guarantee of peace. You go to the next verse and you see there's a lifetime guarantee that has been given to you and given to me through Jesus Christ. And it is the lifetime of grace through him. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. A lifetime of grace. A lifetime of grace that you didn't deserve and I didn't deserve. It was given to you and it was given to me. This guarantee, this grace was bestowed upon you and bestowed upon me in and through Jesus Christ. And with that we stand. Say, Brian, I can't make it another day. I can't take another step. You you don't have to. He is just saying for you and for me, just stand. And when I need you to go another step, I'll give you the grace for that. Brian, I can't do it any 
longer. We looked at that last week. We looked at that the week before that. And we saw it's not by us pulling ourselves up. It's by Him reckoning that to us. And there is this guarantee that we, as we sang, we will never walk alone. That He's right there with us and He has given us this grace. You look in verse 3, there's another guarantee. It's not just that there is peace and there's grace, but there is purpose. Read these verses. I'm going to read 3, 4, and 5 again, and I want you to think about this. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And more than that, verse 3 starts, more than that. Listen to what Paul says. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing, experiencing, it's not just knowing some facts about it, but but through experience of these sufferings, this suffering produces something. It produces endurance, and that endurance produces something, and that endurance, what it produces is character, and character produces Hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because what we've hoped in. We've hoped in Almighty God, and He has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When's the last time? You just think about a week. It's probably going to take you longer to go back in your mental log When's the last time that you went up to somebody and said, hey, how are you doing? And they told you about a suffering and they were rejoicing about it. I'm going to let you think for a little while and you're going to go back and you're going to go back. And I don't think that's ever happened, Brian. I don't think that there's ever been a time, maybe it was yesterday. I hope it was. Because if that is the case, then it is somebody who has read and understands what Paul was trying to get across to the church at Rome, what he's trying to get across to you and me. You and I can rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Well, I've put it this way, that it gives you a lifetime guarantee of purpose. I had a lady call me. It's been a while. It's been a while back, but I had a lady call me and... She said, I can't do it anymore. I said, you can't do what? She said, I I can't live with him anymore. I'm not happy. All we do is fight. There's abuse. I just can't do it anymore. And I sat there on the phone and I started opening my Bible. And I started reading to her. A woman who said she believed God's word, said she was a Christian, said that her husband was a Christian. And I started reading to her verse after verse from Paul's letters. I didn't say anything. He said something. And in that verse after verse, passage after passage, she understood She understood that there's a lifetime of purpose. Was it going to be easy? By all means, no. She lived with a sinner. And the person that she looked at in the mirror was a sinner. But there was purpose. Why was there purpose? 
more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that this suffering, this momentary affliction, as Paul would put it in a different letter, this momentary affliction that I'm going through is going to turn into outstanding. It's going to turn into awesome. It's going to turn into overwhelming glory. Because what I'm going through right now has purpose. It's tough, Brian. You better believe it is. It's tough for you. It's tough for Paul. It's tough for me. It's tough for anybody else. The circumstances that you find yourself in, if you do right, as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you do right, he, he flips it actually. He says, if you do wrong and you suffer, what count is that? But if you stand up and you do exactly what you're supposed to do, Here's the lifetime guarantee that there will be purpose. Tomorrow, I stand in front of maybe two people that come to the breakout, or it may be 120 people that come to the breakout. But I I have a breakout at a conference tomorrow, and the title and the subject matter of the um, breakout is this, Preaching in a Changing World preaching in a changing culture, and our culture has changed, has it not? Our culture, we live in a in a in the midst of a culture that is ever changing, and I would argue that it's changing for the worst, or it's changing away from God, not changing toward God. All the more important for you and for me to understand verse number three whether it's at the job site, whether it's with a group of friends, whether it's with extended family or even imminent family, an immediate family, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know there is this lifetime guarantee of purpose. God has you in the place that he has you for a reason. There's no coincidence. You live where you live because God desires for you to do that. He knows exactly where you are. Your task and your job is there for a specific purpose. Does it bring you pleasure? It may not, but you must understand that there is pleasure There is happiness and there is joy knowing that there is purpose. And what's the purpose? Even as you might suffer right now, it produces endurance. And even though that endurance might seem long and tedious, it also produces something and that is character. And that character produces hope. And it's not a hope like I hope We have roast beef and potatoes for lunch today because I like roast beef and potatoes. Or I hope that we have this or that. I hope that there's a dollar in the bank account at the end of the month. No, this is a hope that is fixed on one who is secure. It's not a a guess-so hope. It is a no-so because of who he is. So we see these lifetime guarantees, but there is one lifetime guarantee that brings about all these others. Let me read verses 6 through 11. And for the following, and for the 
remaining minutes, I want us to think about God's love for you. I want you to think about, in these verses, as I read verse 6 through 11, I want you to think about who God is loving and why God is loving. Who God is showing His love toward and why He is doing this. So look in verse 6 and we'll read down through verse 11 and have those two thoughts as I read. For while we were still weak, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For while, excuse me, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, that we are made right in a right standing, shall we be saved by His, by Jesus' life. More than that, we also rejoice. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Who does God love? If all these other guarantees are brought about because of His love, who does He love? I would say to you and to me this morning, there are a number of of people that He loves, even in this passage. He, he loves the ungodly. He loves the sinner. He loves the enemy. One author, J.I. Packer, stated this concerning the ungodly, the sinner, and the enemy. Speaking of them and their character, that this total depravity of man, it means not that at every point man is as bad as he could be, but that at no point, at no point is He as good as he should be. That's the fundamental human condition according to Scripture. And God loved you in that condition. He loved the ungodly. Basically, this is the description that pictures the godless. Those who have no fear or reverence for God. They have no desire to worship Him, to serve Him, or even to bring glory to His name. Then, in verse 8, we see that He loves the sinner means to miss the mark, and in verse 10, he loves even the enemy. You were an enemy. I was an enemy against him, and he loves you. That's who he loves. So why did he do it? Why did he send his son? The reason he sent his son was... Because no matter who you are, an ungodly person, a sinner, an enemy, God loves you. 
And he sent his son so that you might have eternal life and be reconciled to him at the right time. At the right time, he sent his son at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly at the right time. You were reconciled and I was reconciled to the father. So I close with these statements. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have now been justified by his blood. How much more, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if you and I were, while we were enemies, we were reconciled, we were brought back to a right standing with God by the death of his son, how much more in these lifetime guarantees, how much more in the eternal state forever and ever will we be saved by his life? There is nothing that you can do. Nothing that you can do to change your place in front of God. His wrath has been focused on you, yet out of His character of love, He loves you and He gave His very best for you. I don't know where you're going this week. I don't know the person that's going to sit in the cubicle beside you. I don't know the person who's going to serve you something to eat. I don't know the person... And the conversation that you're going to have with a son or a daughter and the struggles that they're in, a wife or a husband and the struggles that they're going through. But they need to know, and God has demonstrated it time and time again, how much he loves you. And what he has done for you. You think you're miles away. And he says, why don't you just take this step toward me and I'll be right there. You think that there's no hope. And he says, I am hope. You think that there is no way that he can forgive. And he says, it's already done. The blood was shed on the cross. The price was paid some 2,000 years ago. If you would just come. That's how much he loves you. Heavenly Father, I bow. And God, I pray that um, this passage of Scripture would show every one of us Father, that the end does not have to be dark. The end does not have to be eternity without you. Because you've demonstrated the way that we might have eternal life. God, you've done the whole work. 
if we would believe. The argument has been laid out. The guarantee has been given. Father, I pray that as we have heard your word read, Father, as we have spent this time and we've looked at, as we've sung songs to lift high your name, Father, I pray that your spirit, he continues to work. Father, wherever you take us this week, Lord, there are people that we know we need to talk to. God, you've brought them across our paths before and you will do it again this week. May I be sensitive, may we be sensitive to demonstrate and show this love that you have for them just like you have for us. Sir, he wants you to come back to him. The sin that you are in right now as Peter would say in 1 Peter, it's been enough. Ma'am, the attitude that you're holding on to, sir, the, the attitude that you have that's turning to anger, that's turning to malice, that's becoming a stronghold, he says it's enough. enough for you it's long enough would you give it to him and allow him to work in you and in that situation the invitation this morning as we sing is an invitation for you to meditate upon the words that Paul wrote to those at Rome We have been given all these things. We have been given love and grace and peace and hope. He has demonstrated this even in the midst of our sufferings. You and I can come to Him because of who He is and what He's done. Would you meditate on that? Would you think on that? Would you respond not not to this invitational call, but would we respond to the One who has done so much Father, you know the condition of every single person. Father, you work to bring glory and honor to your name, for you are worthy. Let's stand and let's respond.